can be found in Luke, Luke 23, 50, 24-11, can be found on the inside of your bulletin. This is Luke 23, 50, 24-11. Christ has been crucified on the cross, and now uh, this proceeds. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a little shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment, but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the dead, living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The word of the Lord. Well, Easter is about life. But interestingly, in the morning on Easter, it begins in a graveyard. I don't know if you've ever visited a graveyard. It was someone that gave me some good advice once that said, if ever you're going to make an important decision, make it in a graveyard. Because around graveyards, you have the finality of life. Every decision you make, make it count. It's interesting when you go into a graveyard... People, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole concept of an epitaph, where someone wants to sum up their life, try to really spell it all out. What were they all about? And so I actually took a, a magical mystery tour all around the United States to find different epitaphs of people that really explain uh, who they are and what they want out of this life. So let's take a look at some of these. For instance, here's George W. Jr., who simply says, I knew this would happen. <laughs> Very powerful, George. Robert Clay Allison, 1840 to 1887. He never killed a man that did not need killing. <laughs> That's an honest, honest uh, statement here, didn't it? How about Knight? You are a moron. <laughs> not a very happy guy, I guess. Still sticking it to everyone, even from his grave. William H. Hahn. I told you I was sick. <laughs> Last words, huh? And finally, Mel Blank, the voice of a thousand voices, the Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny. That's all, folks. You know, it's interesting, this picture of tombstones. I thought about myself, you know, not to be too morbid, but what is it that I might want to have on my tombstone? And I've come up, this is kind of like having a name of a baby, you know, these are the different choices I have. So here's the first one. Here lies Carlos Rodriguez. Pardon me for not getting up. <laughs> polite. How about this one? This is a little more fun. Here lies Carlos Rodriguez. What are you looking at? <laughs> and then finally, here lies Carlos Rodriguez. You 
You are standing on my head. <laughs> you know, we can laugh at death, and we often do, but it's always death that has the last laugh, isn't it? Death is the uninvited guest. He's the elephant in the room. He's the one that's always lingering in the shadows, always around. We try to keep him away. We try to keep him at bay. We don't think about him. We exercise. We eat. We try to build empires. And yet at the same time, he's ever there, ever pressing, ever moving forward. You know, death is the opposite of all that we love. If life brings joy, then death brings sorrow. If life brings relationships, then death brings separation. If life brings hope, then death brings despair. If life brings light, then death brings darkness. If life is the great hope of the world, then death, death is the grim reality. The reminder that we are mortal, that humanity is flawed and broken, that all good things must come to an end. Or must they? The story of Easter is the story of a glimmer of light in the darkness. A hope that death would not have the last word. Easter is death working backwards. For after sorrow in this story comes joy. And after separation comes relationship. After despair, hope. And after darkness, light. For Jesus, unlike everyone else that has ever come before history, lived and died and lives again. For the disciples and for the women, hope is reborn. As it can be for us, there can be a happily ever after. See, the story of Jesus is different than any other story of any other person. Whether it be a great religious figure, all of them stop at death, but Jesus starts. See, Jesus did not go to death. Jesus went through death. Jesus came back to life because he is life. But he came through death to life so that he could make dead people and make them alive too. And so the Easter story is about life from death. And it's about the opportunity that we might live not in the shadow of death, but rather in the dawn of the resurrection. For Christ came back to life after death, that he might take dead people and make them alive too. And so to truly understand this passage, we must take it apart. We must understand what Jesus is really communicating to us. The first thing Jesus is communicating to us is this, that Jesus came to break the power of death. First thing, Jesus came to break the power of death. Number two, Jesus came not to be remembered, but he came to be worshipped. And then finally, number three, Jesus came that we might live in the dawn of the resurrection. Well, let's look at these three points. I've devoted one hour to each of them, so enjoy. Number one, Jesus came to break the power of death. Well, you're familiar with the story of what has happened. Christ has been crucified. He came into Jerusalem, and the crowds were shouting, Hosanna. And yet a week later, they were shouting, Crucify Him. His disciples have abandoned Him. And now as they stare at this train wreck, they have the realization that He's gone. He's disappeared. He's died. And with him, hope has died. Their spirits are crushed. See, they left everything to follow him, didn't they? 
Matthew, the tax collector, who walked away in hopes of a new life. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, the fishermen, who left their boats, who left their livelihood to go and follow Christ. They had hoped that his words were true. The kingdom of God was coming. That God would rule, that everything wrong would be made right. All of injustices, there would be shalom, there would be peace, there would be justice and truth. And they saw in his life a foreshadowing of all these things. The miracles he performed as the paralyzed walked, as the sick became well, as the blind could see. They saw glimpses of this kingdom that was coming. They heard the message that I am the bread of life. He who eats for me will never be hungry. He who drinks for me will never be thirsty. It was Simon Peter who spoke to him after many left him. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, Do you guys want to leave too? And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And yet throughout Jesus' ministry with the disciples, there was always signs that something was coming. Jesus multiple times said to his disciples that he would be turned over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he would be raised to life. He would say things like that, but they wouldn't get it. In fact, one time Jesus said that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and rise on the third day. And Peter took him aside saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. This is why I have come. But they didn't understand. In their sorrow, they experienced in the shadow of death, defeat and despair. And so we take up our story the day after Passover. The twelve are locked away, hidden in a room. Joseph, in a gesture of kindness, has placed Jesus in the tomb. And the women are on their way to embalm his body, to stop the smell, to try to delay the decomposition. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why didn't they believe his words? The reason they didn't believe his words is because death always wins. Death is the great separator, isn't it? I grew up not knowing my grandfathers. They passed before I was born. Death took them. All of the great figures of the world, Napoleon, Washington, Charlemagne, Genghis Khan, we can go to their tombs and visit them. Death took them too. Even great spiritual leaders and prophets, the Buddha, Muhammad, Gandhi, lie in their graves. When we go to the cinema and we watch movies, the struggle is always to stay alive, isn't it? Because once they die, it's over. Death is the great separator, and death always wins. And death always wins because death is always right. See, death is not only the separator, it's the adjudicator. It's the universal judge of humanity. It's not partial. It's not racist. It doesn't play any favorites. It's simply that which is built into the fabric of the universe. That God has placed in the universe this truth that the soul who sins is the one who will die. John 6.23 puts it better. The wages of sin is death. James put it this way. That anyone then who knows the good he ought to do 
and doesn't do it sins. And so we ask the question, is it me? Do I love my neighbor as myself? Do I love God with all my whole heart? Do I do right? Do I live as I'm supposed to? If I was made in the image of God, do I mirror the image of God in the way that I live and relate to Him in this world? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? The truth is there's no one who seeks God. Death, the mirror, shines in our face and we see the truth that there's no one who does good, not even one. The disciples did not understand that Jesus Christ has come to break the power of death. See, death is a one-way street. It's why you bury people six feet under. They're not coming back. It's why you roll a stone in front of the tomb. It's not to be moved. You see, the truth of the matter is, if you want to open the door of death, you must open it from the inside. And so we ask the question, if Jesus, the fairest one of all, died, why? For he did not sin. The scriptures tell us that he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. For God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, life meant death that weekend, and life won. Jesus put it this way, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me lives, even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus put it this way, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when dead, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I used to play, I still do play tennis, but I used to play a lot of it as a, as a junior. I enjoyed playing so much, you know, and sometimes I couldn't find people to play with. And the advice from my coaches was always this, go play the wall. Because there's something about the wall, you know. The wall is a mirror. You hit the ball, the mirror brings it back. And as I hit against the wall again and again and again, I got better and better and better. I could keep the ball going against the wall. But the wall was a mirror. Every imperfection, every small angle that was wrong would be magnified. Until finally I would cower in defeat and the wall was there, placid, stoic, winning again. See, it doesn't matter if I play against the wall, or my son plays against the wall, or even for that matter, Rafael Nadal plays against the wall. Nadal might be able to keep the ball going a lot longer than me, but in the end, he will succumb. The wall always wins. But in the story of the tomb, Jesus meets the wall of death, and it's the wall that falls, the stone is rolled away and it is Jesus left standing. Christ came to break the power of death. And so who is he to you? Maybe a great teacher that taught us how to live? Maybe a religious figure that gave us a picture of God? Maybe a wise sage that we could follow? Why did he come? To teach us about God? To teach us how to love one another? Yes. But the reason he really came was to break the back of death itself. 
You know, you try to live your life. You live it as best as you can. You struggle. You try to love your family and your friends. You try to do the right thing. But you cannot beat death. It can't be defeated. You can't hold him at bay forever. But there is an answer to the problem of death. Jesus came back to life after death that we might take dead people and make them, that he might take dead people and make them alive too. And so, through Christ, you can live not in the shadow of death, but in the dawn of the resurrection. So place your hope in Christ, not in yourself. Recognize your frailty. Recognize reality. Trust Christ, and then you can face death and not flinch. You can live with hope in this world. Well, this brings me to my second point. That Jesus came, that was a quick hour, wasn't it? Jesus came not to be remembered, but he came to be worshipped. It's interesting how these people approach Jesus, right? These were his friends and everything. The first, Joseph of Arimathea. We see in verse 50 that he had not consented to this uh, kangaroo court here that went ahead and arrested Jesus and called him over and uh, sentenced him to death. And so Joseph of Arimathea, he asked Pilate for the body. He went to him, which was a risky thing, wasn't it? Because he was identifying himself as one of the disciples of Jesus. But Pilate gave him the body, and what did he do with it? He laid it in his tomb, an expensive tomb that he had cut out. Why? Because he wanted to honor him. He wanted to give him dignity. He did not want him to fall prey to the elements. He wanted to protect him. In the end, Joseph wanted to contain Jesus and constrain Jesus. What about the women? Verse 10, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary and these other women... They saw where he was laid. And because of the preparation and the Sabbath, they went and they prepared these spices for him, these embalming, pounds and pounds of it. Why? There's an interesting thing I've noticed about women when there's death. Not all women, but they get busy. They want to cook. They want to prepare something. They want to help alleviate suffering. They want to come together. And just like that, these women prepare this stuff. They want to come to Christ. They want to say goodbye. They want to wash Him and clean Him. They want to have a viewing. Exactly the same reason why we often do a viewing. The women want to come and remember Him. Whether Joseph or the women, they wanted to come and remember a dear friend and to honor his life. But this is what they found. Verse 3, but they went in. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, and as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The angel said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Notice they were perplexed. The word means literally uh, trapped. They couldn't understand what they were seeing. They had no idea what was going on. They were met by these angels who said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember, he told you. Why do you seek the living among the dead? See, these women had drawn the wrong conclusion. They came in resignation, but they should have come in expectation. 
Their expectations were wrong and their location was wrong. They came to a graveyard when they should have come to a place of the living. They came to be remembering when they should have come to be encountering. Well, they came to remember and instead they encountered. For just after this passage, we see that Jesus reveals himself to Mary. And then he goes on and reveals himself to twelve, multiple times, even to doubting Thomas. Indeed, what the scriptures tell us, this is the first creed out of Christianity, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day, and he appeared to Peter and to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, but some have fallen asleep. Indeed, even the book of Acts says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. See, they came to remember, but they ended up worshiping. Because he's alive. Why are you here? Have you come to remember a great man? Have you come to honor him? Have you come to constrain him? Or he's safe in your memory, safe in the four walls of the church, safe in the scripture. You know, some people call this an Easter memorial service. It is nothing of the sort. For he has risen. Christ put it this way in Revelation, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So my question for you is this, why do you look for the dead among the living? For if you come to seek the living, you will find him. For he still continues to reveal himself to those who seek him by faith from the inside out. I don't know if you've seen this picture before. It's a picture of pain. Malaysia Flight 370. This is a woman, a son of Li Lei, a 36-year-old Chinese national aboard the missing plane. This picture was taken when the Malaysian government communicated without a doubt that the plane has come down. And all he could say, all she could say weeping is, my son, my son, I just want my son back. This is the look of resignation. This is the look of one who remembers. But this is a different look. This is the look of Christy Bruger, who's running to her husband, Lieutenant Mike Bruger, who returned home on the Harry S. Truman after a nine-month deployment, of which we got our own Brady Gordish back. Thank you for your service, Brady. We appreciate you. She comes differently, doesn't she? She comes not in resignation. She comes in expectation. She comes not to remember. She comes to encounter. As she comes to her living husband, so we must come to the living Christ. Seek the living among the living. Don't gather to remember, but rather to encounter. Believe the gospel, for its truth is overwhelming. Others have seen him. Indeed, now millions would die for him, even billions. But you must see with eyes of faith. Maybe you doubt. No one comes back from the dead. Maybe it's a pipe dream. It's a fairy tale or a story. If you go to the tomb, what will you find? 
will find what you are looking for. If you're in the wrong place, you will not see the living among the dead. Jesus put it this way, I tell you the truth. The time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So are you listening? Seek Him and you will find Him. Look for the one who's looking for you. What's astounding is this picture is not of us running to God, but rather God running to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ came back to life after death, that He might take dead people like you and me and make them alive too. We were living in the tomb of death, and Jesus came in and got us and brought us out. Jesus has broken the back, the, the back of death. He's given us a living God that we may worship. And so, this brings me to my third point. We must live in the light of the resurrection. The women go in resignation, and they come back in jubilation. And they come to the disciples in verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to eleven, to the eleven and all, to all the rest. But these words seemed to them an idle tale to the disciples, and they did not believe them. The Greek translation is, it seemed to them as complete nonsense. They don't believe. Nobody needs death. And yet Jesus, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the Lord doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. They encountered the living Christ, and it changed everything. The scriptures tell us that for 40 days, Jesus repeatedly met with them, the resurrected Christ, teaching them about the kingdom of God, preparing them to send them. And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, there they are, standing in the temple, fearlessly preaching Christ, while the Roman garrisons are all around. What's the difference? What moves them? To such boldness and fearlessness, we have seen the Lord. He is risen. Before they were living in the shadow of death, but now they're living in the dawn of the resurrection. His life, He has appeared to them, and now through the Holy Spirit, He is in them. Jesus said to them, and He says to us, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send to you a counselor, the Holy Spirit who I will send. He will remind you of everything I've said. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. These disciples, these cowards, hiding, who deserted Christ, came out of the tomb, lived in the dawn of resurrection, and changed the world. Because they knew that there was a future life, they were able to live life to the full here. They were not afraid of the wall. They were not afraid to go up against the wall because they knew that they could go through the wall. Paul may be put it best, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so as the disciples lived, so we are called to live as well, with hope and expectation. 
For if you love Christ and if you believe in Him, He is in you and you are in Him. And in every corner that you turn, He is there. You are never alone. So you can speak with conviction. You can live with boldness. You must not and cannot and do not need to fear the, the grave. See, like them, we live in the shadow of the dawn of the resurrection. And we must choose how we live. So what's it going to be? Christian, do you believe that he died and rose again? Do you believe that he's alive? Do you trust him? Have you encountered him? Have you met him on the road to Emmaus? Maybe you've never sought the living among the living. Maybe you need to get to a quiet place and ask the question, Are you there, Lord? Seek the living among the living. Believe he is alive. Trust in his resurrection. Believe he is with you and for you. And as you experience the hope of the risen Christ in your life, you can treat death not as an enemy, but as a friend. You can live in a new light, by a new set of rules, in a new kingdom, by a new set of values, by a new power. Living not a life of death, but a resurrected life. For a Christian life is a resurrected life. Jesus came back to life after death, that he might take dead people and make them alive too. So live not in the shadow of death, but in the dawn of the resurrection. You know, I thought about my tombstone and what I really wanted to put on it. I think I've concluded this, that I really don't want a fancy one, because I'm not going to be there very long. I think I simply wanted to say my name, the date I was born, and the date I fell asleep, and John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but will have everlasting life. Praise God for the hope of Easter. Let us pray. For us living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God. Lord, you have broken the back of death. You have emerged from the tomb. And you run to us. You condescend to die for us that we might be your children. Lord, help us to follow your hand out of the tomb. Help us to live in the dawn of the resurrection. Help us to proclaim to the world we have seen the living Christ. Only never leave us or forsake us. Be with us, Lord. For we love you. We pray all of this in his name.